Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. We're your uh, weekly or twice a month Star Trek podcast as part of the network. Our recording schedule's been a little off lately as we've been trying to mesh our real life schedules. But like Derek and I always say, you got to take care of yourself first and then you can enjoy your hobbies. That's right. Uh, this week, yeah, I mean, and this week we're going to be diving right back into the Picard series, specifically episodes two, three, and four. And to a quick introduction, in case none of you remember, I'm Greg Bosco, one of your regular hosts, and with me as always is Mr. Derek. Say hello, buddy. Hello, hello. It's good to be back, yeah. I mean, we, we try and do it weekly, but this is for fun, this is for our passion, and so we do it as we can. Well, and unfortunately, my travel schedule with work doesn't always cooperate, so we uh, we try to work around that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's all good, so... Um, this is episode 88 of the show. Episode 87 was the premiere of Star Trek Picard. If you missed that, go go listen to that, because uh, we are assuming you know what happened in that episode. <laughs> yeah, and we're kind of just going to dive right in. No, early spoiler warning, because there's not a lot of Trek news. Derek and I try to focus on the reliable Trek sources, because everybody knows there's a lot of rumors out there on discussion forums, on other podcasts, on YouTube, and we're trying to stick to the to the actual news that is reported and discussed by the legitimate CBS sources. Uh, so we'll just dive right in to episodes two, three, and four. And but before we dive in, Derek, why don't you give us your ten little your little ten second synopsis on or your on your feelings on Picard? Do you think it's kind of going in the right direction? Uh, do you like the quality and such? All right, so uh, this this episode, this podcast episode, is going to get a little. Maybe a little intense at times. Um, I think the show is fine. Um, there are certainly some really, really good things about it as we are 40% of the way through first season. There's 10 episodes before through. Um, Patrick Stewart, of course, is a wonderful, wonderful actor. Um, the production value seems relatively high. The score is beautiful. Um, I like the cast a lot. But I feel like the show is meandering a bit. I feel like its pacing is off. It's taking a really long time to get anywhere. And we're four episodes in and we're still introducing new characters um, 
to the story and we still haven't had Riker and Troy show up yet. We know that's happening probably in the next episode or two, but that means we're going to be more than halfway through the season. We're still bumping into new people on this overarching story. Um, so I know we're going to get to this, but basically not a lot happens in episodes, you know, two and three, those are pretty quick episodes. One and four have a little more going on, but in, in total, not a ton of movement happens in these first four episodes. I mean, what is that? What's your perspective on that? No, I think you nailed it. Uh, even a good example is episode two. And I remember joking with you about this online is it almost didn't even feel like a, like a, like a TV episode. It just kind of felt like filler. And the only way I can describe this show is the cast and crew are great. They are not the issue. They look good. They, they interact well. They, they have chemistry together. It looks great. It sounds great. The score is amazing. And, you know, my complaint so far through four episodes is it almost feels like a focus group of Star Trek. And what I mean by that is I was joking with another friend from college is the story feels like somebody made a bot watch Firefly for like 100,000 hours and take Firefly and go, okay, now make this into Star Trek with what they're kind of trying to do with the interaction with the cast and crew. Because the cast and crew are fine, but the story itself, when you describe it as meandering, I you're right. It's it's almost hard to follow what they're trying to do and even some of the stuff they're touching on. And, okay, like here's, for example, these episodes two, three, and four. While Discovery was... I try, what's the word? Every episode leads into the next episode with Picard... There is literally no separation among the episodes. You could watch one, two, three, and four, and it could just be a three-hour movie instead. Right. Because there's no breaks. There's literally moving from plot A to plot B to plot C to plot D. And I'm not talking that people are moving fast. It's they got transporters and warp drives. I'm not talking about that. But it feels like they have this story that's the size of a galaxy, and they're trying to squeeze it into the size of like a 800-square-foot apartment. Well, so I, I do think you, you did hit one thing, and Patrick Stewart said this prior to the show premiering, that it's basically a 10-hour movie, right? And we've seen three hours of it. And I think he's right. I think you're right in the sense that there aren't really episodes. I mean, yes, it does a little recap at the beginning of each one, and there's a end credits to each one. But if you were to cut that up and put these together, it's seamless. And that's kind of interesting. I think that's kind of cool because I don't know that I've watched another show that's really done that to my memory. I can't think of one off the top of my head because Discovery is, of course, much more serialized than TNG was, right? But there's still some breaks. There's still, you know, separation between them. There are different events that are happening, but the characters are growing. That makes it all serialized. But this is one story. And I think the issue here is that like, let's look at the CW as, as an example. The CW has a lot of DC comic shows, right? Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, so on. They get like 24, 26 episodes a season. So people joke about the filler episodes, your you know, villain of the week, the monster of the week, right? That was very big in the 90s with like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. This has filler, but it's a different kind of filler. Instead of having random one-off stories, you have such in-depth, detailed conversation that it doesn't move the plot along at a particularly, you know, f 
fast pace or anything like that. It's more of just allowing the characters to talk to each other. And my concern here is that if it wasn't Picard, if it wasn't Patrick Stewart, if these were 100% brand new characters, would you still be, for lack of a better word, engaged? That's a good word choice. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> think I would be. And again, this is a show that I think is being carried by the strength of the interaction of the cast and crew. And, you know, yeah, they're a little rugged. I think it's weird that, you know, Raffi still vapes 300 years in the future. But again, that's what I mean by focus group is it feels like somebody incorporates like how do we how do we interact real life modern day people into Star Trek? And the reason I say it like that is you and I have been talking for years, even as friends before we did a podcast. Star Trek has always intermixed tones of reality into their episodes. And then the original series is a great example of they're talking about or they're they're really focusing on the possibility of the future during some terrible times in the 60s. And even going into the movies difficult times in the late 70s and 80s with politics and sensitivity of the Cold War, but they did it in a way that was kind of optimistic versus this Trek. And Patrick Stewart's done some interviews where it kind of, the show kind of has a feeling of the whole post uh, strong politic nature, the post Trump era, the post Brexit area, which is fine to talk about those topics. But then you run into issues where, the Federation is, you know, turning inward and they're more xenophobic and et cetera, et cetera. But then you, you, you think about it for like three minutes. You're like, man, it's what's kind of weird about that is in the next generation DS nine and such, they fought the Klingons for basically a hundred years on and off. And the Federation never turned xenophobic against Klingons, quite the opposite. When, when Praxis explodes, yeah, you get the undiscovered country and you get elements of Starfleet that want to take advantage of it. But the bulk of Starfleet is like, screw you guys. We're going to save the Klingons anyways. And that was kind of fun. The optimism, right? You don't, there's very little optimism right now in Picard, except for the casting crew. Well, and I think there's a specific topic here that you really hit on. And it's that idea of turning away from our enemies. Because you're right. I mean, between the Klingons, the Romulans, the Cardassians, and the Dominion, those have been four very complex relationships that included multiple wars over centuries in some cases. And androids who we've produced, right, we caused to exist, they have one event and they're completely outlawed, completely banned, completely illegal. It does seem to be in contradiction to everything we've been taught that the Federation and Starfleet stands for. Right. When you look at measure of a man, for example, the idea that data is his own person, his own being, it doesn't matter that a biological being constructed him. That's not what's important. Right. So we had that one good example, but now we have a bad example. And that means they're all evil. What would, what would, what would have happened to data if he was still alive? You know, is that why B4 is in, in the, in the drawer now is it's not so much because he couldn't assimilate Data's memories, but because he's an android. You know, what about the holographic technologies? At the end of the day, what makes the holographic technologies safe and the androids not safe? Because while obviously physically they're different, the computer programming on the back end can't be all that different. 
from a AI standpoint, right? No, I think you your comment is I can't even match you with your skill right there. It was amazing. <laughs> and the re- there oh, was shucks. a specific instance. <laughs> there's a specific instance I want to bring up from Next Generation. When the Klingon Civil War is ongoing and Picard puts together the task force to stop the Romulans, you could argue that when the detection grid is taken down by one of the Romulan ships and Data disobeys orders to to still detect the Romulan ships, you could argue that that one action by Data, an android, saved the lives of maybe millions of people because if the Romulans get those supplies to the Duras family and the Klingon Civil War goes on and on and on, how many people would have died as a result of that? And that one action from an android potentially saved the Alpha... Not not saved the Alpha Quadrant, but saved the stability of the Alpha Quadrant. And yeah, these synths turned evil for whatever reason and destroyed the fleet and destroyed Mars and 100,000 people were killed. But again, the Borg have killed how many hundreds of thousands of Federation citizens? And even when... This is where Picard today is the same Picard as 30 years ago. Even when he had a chance to destroy the Borg, he still said, no, we don't have a right to destroy a race from existing. Yeah. He could have, and nobody would have blamed him. I, I, I mean, I, I think that's a very good point. And I think, you know, th- there's one other kind of connection here, and that would be the Zindi, right? Now, I know not as many people out there have watched Enterprise, and you should, because season uh, seasons three and four are actually really quite good season four has some of the best star trek in my opinion but anyway i digress um the zindi attack earth and they kill millions of people by destroying a huge chunk of the north american east coast and archer has to send our only really warp five capable ship to try and figure out a solution now that is one of the few instances where an alien species has come to our territory and killed a lot of civilians, right? Because it was on Earth. These were not Starfleet. These were not military. These were everyday people at home, school, work, whatever. The androids attacked Mars and Utopia Planitia, which one could argue is more of a military target, right? There's a big argument back and forth. Is Starfleet a military? Is Starfleet a military? And I think from a mission from a, a mission statement and from a philosophical standpoint, no, it's it's not. But the ships are military-capable ships a lot of the time, right? The USS Grissom is not a military ship. Even Voyager is not a military ship. But the Defiant is. The Enterprise-E is. And to attack Utopia Planitia, where we are developing starships, is more of a military strike. That gets further complicated, though, by the fact that it was at that time being presumably 100% used to develop these rescue ships for the Romulans. So I guess the real question is, did the androids destroy Utopia Planitia because they wanted to attack Starfleet? Or did they do it because of a beef with the Romulans? With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No, and that's something that, <clears throat> excuse me, they start getting into with the whole you know, double secret probation Tal Shiar, the Zat Vaj or whatever, that they've been around for thousands of years and they hate synthetics. And, okay, you can get into the nitty-gritty that, you know, nobody exactly knows when the Romulans left Vulcan, but it was sometime around, like, 400 AD or something like that. So for the Zat Vaj to exist for thousands of years, you can get into the nitty-gritty like that, fine. But, so they hate synthetics so much that maybe they influence an attack of synthetics on Mars to sow distrust between humans and Romulans, but then the show has Romulans and humans working together, and the Romulans have a board cube, which is obviously nothing but synthetics, and it well not synthetics, but you know what I mean, cyborgs, obviously. That that's where you and I have been talking. They're trying to cram such a huge story that these four episodes probably could have been ten episodes alone to um, extrapolate more of the details of what actually is going on and why. Well, I, I think one of the big issues here is that while the Romulans have been in Star Trek for a long time, right? Balance of terror all the way up through Nemesis. And they've, they've been around quite a bit. They had a big part to play in the Dominion War. They don't get a lot of development, right? Because the Klingons got tons of development in TNG and DS9. The Romulan or the, the Vulcans, excuse me, got a ton of development in the original series in Enterprise, the Andorians in Enterprise, the Bajorans and Cardassians in DS9, right? All of these species have had that opportunity, but the Romulans really haven't because they've always been off to the side. They've never been the main player because and maybe that's because there's never really been primary Romulan crew members. Right. In fact, the only Romulan that comes to mind who is an actual Starfleet officer on one of the series shows, series uh, ships, is in the Drumhead, and the entire episode is about racism. You know, uh, so they're they're trying to give the Romulans a lot of development here, and so yeah, you get the Zadvash, who are you know the underground the the secret society of a secret society and then you get the well romulans don't like you know synthetic technology and you're like well i mean that's never really been talked about before but i guess okay and you start to they're starting to try and build them out and now there's all these rumors that maybe the romulans actually caused the android attack because they didn't want starfleet to save them and why would they want to do that type of thing? We know that they have people installed in Starfleet. In fact, not just in Starfleet, but like top Starfleet head of security type people. And how did they get that? How, how are they able to infiltrate that just because Starfleet doesn't think it's possible? You know, like Commander uh, Commodore O is, I'm assuming, Romulan. She's working with the Romulans. I suppose she could be a Vulcan who agrees with the Romulans, right, as they're trying to be closer together. But the Picard show is trying to flesh out the Romulan society 
at the same time that they're trying to reintroduce a lot of these characters in a new time period in a Starfleet that we've never seen before. Yeah, because even if you think about it, we it, we're four episodes in, and we haven't. I don't think we've seen a single actual Starfleet ship on the show, have we? Like, a, not we've seen the holographic images, but we haven't seen like you know the USS Thunderchild flying around or something. No, we've seen some shuttles, and then we've seen the footage from the android attack, um, which has some ships in the shipyard. But I, I guess that's it. You know, if you read the comic, you know, you get to see some ships in the comic, but, um, you know, that's not technically canon and we're not going to go down that route, but, uh, yeah, no, you're right. They, they really haven't shown any of that. Um, in fact, really the only, we've only really seen two, two real ships so far because sevens is kind of like this tiny little shuttle thing. Um, and the other one is a like 200 year old Romulan warbird or bird of prey. Excuse me. Yeah. It's, so then maybe that's fine because they're trying to focus on the people, but it's still, it just kind of feels like a lack of Star Trek content almost. But something that you really hit the nail on again is the story right now is very heavily involved in synthetics and Bruce Maddox and the synthetic attack. I actually, my personal belief is maybe my enjoyment would have been, I know the show's not made for me. It's fine. It's not made for just one human being out there is I think if they would have tweaked the story to just make it so the Romulans, who have always been a secretive race, and they've always kind of relied on subterfuge, that's been like a Romulan thing, I think I would have would enjoy it more if the Tal Shiar, Zatvaj, whatever, just made the synthetics rebel simply because they wanted to continue the distrust between humans and Romulans. It's like nothing to do with synthetics, it's just they saw an opportunity and took it. I think that would have been neat, but yeah, when you're talking about them infiltrating the head of Starfleet and Starfleet security and all this stuff, it's like we've kind of seen that and we've had episodes with that, and it's kind of getting to the point where Starfleet Senior Command must be completely incompetent and inept at, de at determining anybody who has, like, evil intentions. And the Admiral that Picard has a dispute with is a good example of that, when she kind of flies off the handle at him for... Whatever, throwing Starfleet under the bus, abandoning Starfleet. <laughs> okay, this is a man who has saved Star the Starfleet and Earth how many times? He's renowned, he's honored, he's done humanitarian missions. And this Admiral is purely put on the show just so we can hate her. We have no idea who she is, we have no idea what her background is. It's, it's like Admiral Necheyev, they had seven years to build up. And even though she always kind of talked down to Picard, she always trusted him. She always relied on him. She always came to him. And this is just right out of the bag. She just immediately hates him. And Commander o, or Commodore O, which is a weird rank, Commodore. Um, you know, we had Commodore Decker in the original series, but that rank doesn't has never been used again in Star Trek, I don't think. We, we've had a um, few Commodores. I don't think we've ever had one that was like the head of security at Starfleet headquarters. No, I mean, hell, they made Ben Sisko the head of Starfleet security at one point in, uh, in DS9. <laughs> Granted, it was only for like two, like a month, but it was still a thing. But again, you're right. I, obviously, she's either a Vulcan that has abandoned the teachings of Surak, or she's a Romulan in disguise, which, fine, whatever. But again, Starfleet Command can't be this inept, right? 
I don't know. It's it's difficult. So okay, let's talk about Admiral Clancy for a moment. Um, first off, I don't care that she cursed. I think the line is fine. I think that having a more edgy dialogue makes sense because we're on a streaming service and because and I, th- I think I've said this before on the show, but if you're on a starship and you you know say a ship's on screen, and you, you pop it up and it's a board cube and you don't say oh shit. I, I mean, I don't know. I think maybe you have you have aggression problems getting your feelings out. But I agree. Um, I, I I think that her interaction with Picard makes a lot of sense because you have to think about the 14 year gap here. So 14 years ago, Picard quit. Right, Starfleet was going to abandon the mission. They were not going to rescue the rest of the Romulans, and Picard quit in protest. He resigned in protest. And that's really what the show is about. And he goes and he hides away, and that's what Rafi really um, condemns him for: is hiding away. And then he does this public interview, his first one in 14 years, where he straight up publicly criticizes and condemns Starfleet in a very emotional charged way and within 48 hours goes to starfleet headquarters and is asking for a ship with a crew to go on a mission and i think if i'm admiral clancy i'm probably not even going to handle it as well as she did because at the end of the day what sheer fucking hubris picard had to think that he could go in there and do that after what he just did he didn't leave on good terms, and he just burned any bridges he had left at that point. And narratively, it makes sense because they want Picard to be on the outs. They don't want him to have the flagship of the Federation or a galaxy-class starship or an entire crew behind him because we've seen that. That's what TNG is. They want Picard to be the man he is without the resources he had. Right? I think that's really the whole – The whole point of the show is it's easy to be a good person when you have the entire might of Starfleet behind you, backing you up. But can you still do the right thing? Can you still put yourself out there when there isn't anybody coming to your aid? Will you still do the right thing? And in order to answer that question for Picard, you have to put him in this situation. So I I would personally, that part I was fine with. No, and I get where you're coming from. I think my my issue with it is Raffi pointed it out when she's like, "All right, next time you're going to freak out on Starfleet, don't tell them exactly what your plans are." <laughs> <laughs> and I get that. I mean, that was that was a good comment. I, that's what I mean when I say I like the cast and crew because they act like real people. Yes. And the other main compliment I'll give is you and I complained about this when we were doing our Discovery season one discussions. We had a hell of a time remembering people's names on Discovery because they did so little character development. Obviously, the Picard developers have learned from that because they're spending time to have us get to know some of these people. Not a lot, but we're definitely getting to know their names. Um, I'm still having difficulty with, and I feel I I am such an asshole, but I I have difficulty with discount Kristen Bell, and I can't remember her name. <laughs> Dr. Girardi? Girardi? Yeah, and I, I cannot do, when I look at her, I see Kristen Bell. I don't know why. So that's, I, she's, I, uh, <laughs> the actor is Allison Pill. <laughs> I remember that name. I don't remember her character name. Yeah, Dr. Girardi. Agnes, that's right, because I mean, they keep saying Agnes, and I was like, who the hell uses the name Agnes? 
in the 2300s. We don't even use it today. But anyways, maybe they it was came a, back around. a hipster family, right? Yeah. <laughs> a hipster mom and dad. And we're going to name this kid Agnes. Everybody wants to, you know, here's Agnes and her twin sister Gretchen. I'm like, oh, good. Great. <laughs> um, but then that's again where if they would have, I think my, my main dis- issue with the Admiral is I wish they would have fleshed out the relationship somewhat. Like maybe he went to her because they knew her in the past and they fought together in the battle of something. And that's why he thought he could just go to her. But instead, when you when you don't have... And you've been listening to me complain about this for years, and not just about Star Trek, about any content, is we're expected... We're being told that a lot of stuff has happened, and we're not being shown a lot of stuff has happened. And that's where I have difficulty with some modern entertainment. Again, it's not just a Star Trek thing. Star Wars is hugely guilty of, you know... Of that, of just, oh, look, now there's a million ships. Where would they come from? You don't need to know. Don't ask questions. <laughs> and I don't want Star Trek to do that. I, I always, Star Trek's always been good at showing stuff that's happened. And I hope that they start doing that more. No, I think you make a really good point. And in fact, I want to touch on that. So real quick, let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to continue this particular part of the conversation. Recently on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main, think- what's the main plan that, that Indoor... The forest moon of Endor. It's a moon. So it's there's a major planet, obviously, that it... Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet, then? See, th- isn't that confusing? <laughs> yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Endor, or is it the forest moon called Endor? Kaiju Curry House. Because I'm just wondering, are Pokemon Kaiju? They are pocket monsters. They are pocket monsters, Paul. They're, pocket- they're monsters, yeah, aren't they? They're, they're um, just- so- they are yokai, officially. <laughs> Yokai. Yeah, so, um. What's like- a yokai? Screen Heroes. If the MCU gets that, then I really think that Space Jam needs to be part of the DCEU. Yes! Okay, because. <laughs> they have a big Marvel versus DC crossover <laughs> where Airbud takes on Space Jam. Man, we should write for these companies. <laughs> That's what it comes- it's Airbud versus Bugs Bunny. That's, That's what it's right. all come down to. One on one. Yes, done. All right. <laughs> And then, like, at the end, it's Galactus versus LeBron James. And Squirrel Girl wins. (laughs) Red shirts and runabouts. Something we've talked about before, and other people have, but there's there's so much of real-life history involved with Star Trek. From Gene Roddenberry's days, his time in the military as as on on a bomber pilot, as a bomber crewman, you know, James Doohan serving, all these people and all these real-life events that have impacted things. That's very realistic of political and military leaders kind of resigning in protest at a decision they can't control. Subscribe today at heroespodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so we're back. Um, all right, so I think you are you made a really interesting point there before we went on break because this show uses a lot of flashbacks to 14 years ago when Picard was still an admiral and Rafi is his first officer and they're trying to get this rescue mission underway. 
when they kind of keep going back and forth. And that's a such a modern thing to just bounce back and forth between at least two different time periods. Do you think the show could have benefited from splitting itself up and maybe spending – maybe doing what Discovery did and doing two or three, four episodes 14 years ago and then the rest of the season, quote, present day? I think not only that, I – they, I wish they would have taken a little bit more time and a little bit more money and maybe given them, you know, 15 episodes. Because I think it would absolutely benefit where people have the context of understanding what's going on. Because seeing stuff, humans by nature are visual creatures. We we do better when we see what's going on versus hearing what's going on. It's just, you know, biology. You know, seeing a red light is a lot easier for me than you driving saying, Greg, there's a red light. And I look up and it's green. I'm like, uh, no, Derek, it's green. We see stuff and we react. I think if they would have taken what you just said, two, three, four episodes and established the background of everything that happened, shown the synth attack, dedicated a little bit more time, and then done a, done a little jump to where they are now, I think it would have been a huge benefit to the show. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't... I don't know that – see, I, I'm a little torn because I, I agree with, with that part. I'm not sure that it would have benefited from 15 episodes because I feel like it's moving very slow as it is with 10 episodes. And this was a common problem. I've talked about this on Screen Heroes, which is uh, the, the other show that I, I co-host here on the, on the Heroes Podcast Network. But um, the, the Marvel Defenders shows on Netflix, they were mostly 13 episodes. But there was always like – three episodes in the middle of the season that you could have really just removed and been fine. And I feel like that's still kind of the case here. Not, not three episodes, of course, we're only four in, but the, the episodes two and three, so little happens in two and three where Picard is trying to get a ship and he's talking to Rafi and he's trying to convince her to do this. And, you know, they, they're trying to figure out how Picard's going to find soji and you find out that they're androids like it just it's an hour and a half and not a whole lot really happens in that time it's very kind of um i can't come up with the right word for it but everything seems very mellow from a pacing perspective even though at the same time the mission is supposed to be dire and part of me thinks the real issue with that is the bouncing back and forth between present 14 years ago and the Borg cube. Because we haven't really talked about Soji or her part of the story here yet. Um, but like that part of the story, for some reason, is just not grabbing me. Oh, the Soji on the board. Yeah, I'm not... It, it, it's not really of interest to me, but I want to take a couple seconds and kick it back to you. The time jump issue you're talking about, so many people loved The Witcher on Netflix. I loved it. It was well-made. But everybody had the same complaint for the first four episodes, and they're like, what in the hell is happening with this timeline? And why are people aging and de-aging, and what is going on? It's so many people had difficulty adjusting to the time jumps, because, and even the showrunners were like, yeah, we didn't do that very well. And you're right. It's the jumps are happening, and they're showing glimpses of stuff, and I think if they would have just done one forty-five minute episode in the in fourteen years in the past, I think it would I think it would greatly have helped the overall story. 
Yeah, and I, I get the idea, right? They want to kind of have this pacing where they kind of keep laying the seeds. And that's what I meant by like modern storytelling in television because we do that a lot nowadays. But like with The Witcher, I'm only two episodes in right now. But um, my wife, she had to kind of like explain to me what the time periods are because I've never read The Witcher. I've never played the video games. So I don't really know much going into it. I know very little. And I did not understand that these things were not happening at the same time. <laughs> And, you know, at least here they've, they've, they flesh that part out that, you know, when things are taking place, but at the same time, you know, I want to just like, I kind of want to get the backstory and then move forward. I want to know, what do I need to know about Picard and Rafi and the Android attack? Okay, great. Now let's see how that impacts things today. Quote, like, you know, modern time, 2399. Um, because when you keep going back and forth, it's it's kind of a way to keep the viewer in the dark longer. And it just comes off as just like – it's more of a convenience of, well, we just need this thing to happen. Okay, well, here's why it happened and tell us later rather than having it all set up ahead of time, if that makes sense, right? Like, okay, his fir old first officer, he needs her help, right? That's Rafi. Why isn't she going to want to give the help? Why does she not like him anymore? Why is she so angry at her previous uh, superior officer? Okay, well, let's go back and show you why she's angry at him. And I don't – even what they showed, I'm not even sure that that was enough to really create the situation that they that they showed, right? So, okay, so he resigned in protest. She was essentially fired because of that. She has every right to be mad about that, but living out in the desert in her little pod seemed more like a choice than a actual as as like an eventuality. Well, and that's the thing. And so two two things because I love what you're where you're going with this. Not only is she living in the desert, she's living in the damn location where Kirk fought the Gorn, the Vasquez Rocks. Which <laughs> yeah. okay, whatever. But when you're talking about stories making sense, so. 30 second nerd, like ultra nerd moment. All of you who listen to us, you know, I tend to do this. Did you ever read the Lord of the Rings books? I got through some of the first one. Okay. And that's not a problem because the books can be difficult reads. And the reason I'm going on this little tangent is there's a character in the books called Tom Bombadil. That's like this weird magical creature, but he's not magical, but he is. Like Frodo's wearing the ring at one point and Tom Bombadil's staring right at him because he can see through it. And all this stuff. And everybody's asking Peter Jackson. He's like, why'd you cut that from the movies? And he flat out, he's like doing interviews. He's like, because it doesn't make any sense. He's like, nobody's going to understand this character if they haven't read the books. And even Tolkien did some writings. He's like, Tom Bombadil is kind of like a little throwaway. It was blah, blah, blah. He's a magical, mystical thing. And Peter Jackson flat out said, he's like, the character doesn't make sense. I'm not going to include him in the movie if I don't even understand what the hell to use him for. And that's kind of the challenge we have here when they're trying to build this epic plot of Zadvaj and Borg and Reclamation Borg. And, you know, I'll, I'll flat out admit one reason the Borg story doesn't catch me is you have all these problems with reclaiming Borg when we've got 20 years of television that show that deborgifying somebody, for lack of a term, is not that hard. And now they're trying to show that it is and it's not. And I love that they have Hugh. I. Love that. I think that's fantastic. He still even has the same damn voice. It's like the man hasn't aged in 20 years. 
But yeah, that part of the plot's not getting me, and I think it's just because it doesn't make sense to me, and I don't know why. It's Star Trek's always had goofy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's probably because so like, all right, I love that Jerry Ryan is back because I love Jerry Ryan and I love Seven of Nine. But what I am kind of over with is the Borg as the actual Borg because in in TNG they were the villain, right? They were first discovered and they were in, in you know truly alien to us and devious and powerful and threatening and you know they stole Picard and they destroyed tons and tons of ships, thousands of lives. They tied it in so well to DS9 with Cisco's wife. You do first contact, which in my opinion is just phenomenal and I think is the best of the Star Trek films from a qualitative standpoint. And then you do a cool little like pseudo sequel in Enterprise and that's fun. But Voyager totally takes the teeth out of the Borg, right? Because Voyager ends up like partnering with the Borg and blackmailing the Borg and just like totally making them look just completely incompetent by the end of the show. And now we're even farther into the future and it's still more Borg. And I just don't find them that interesting anymore because there's no culture. Right now, they're alluding to maybe that there is, but we haven't seen it yet. We're four episodes in; they've alluded to it. We haven't seen anything. But Romulans have a culture. Klingons have a culture. The Borg are, you know, they're a set of computer programs on biological life. And to your point, yeah, we can reclaim them. We reclaim Picard and Seven. We've reclaimed other people, and seeing Hugh is great. But I'm just not that interested in more Borg stuff on a Borg cube. You know, you, you, that I agree. And I'm one of the, you know, I mean, you've always kind of, you and I have talked about this. I've always loved the Cardassians as a villain because they felt real to me. They felt almost like real life humanity villains in an alien species, the way that they're very hierarchical and militaristic and expansionist. I'm like, that's like a lot of human civilizations, right? But even in DS9 at the end of the Cardassian War, well, the Dominion War, excuse me. When the Klingons are like, you should be drinking and celebrating. And Cisco and the Admiral dump out their wine. They're like, we don't feel like celebrating. That is basically America right after World War II. Yes, we helped defeat the Nazis and we defeated Japan. And at the end of the day, the American government was like happy to win, but they weren't happy that they fought. And we we dedicated billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of people to help rebuild both countries and DS9 goes into that when they're talking about giving the Cardassians, you know, replicators and industrial this and industrial that to help them recover and rebuild. That's like story. When you talk about culture, you're right. It's because we wanted to rebuild an alien culture. Alien, lack of a better term. The Borg, it's just, meh. I mean, so there's a Borg cube and there's synthetics and they're reclaiming them. But aside from Hugh and Seven of Nine, who I adore and... Jerry Ryan, you look as amazing now as you did 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and you still act great and you look great on screen. I love that. I love having that cast and crew, but you're right. The story itself is just not grabbing me. And I I think it's just because it's all so separated right now, and I'm sure it comes together down the road here. But, you know, the only reason that we care about Soji is because of her sister, Dodge, and because of Picard's quest. And... The Romulan cube, or excuse me, the Romulan board cube doesn't really seem to serve any purpose other than, well, that's just where Soji is. 
right? Because you have Narek who um, is trying to, I guess, figure out more about Soji and where the rest of them are. Because I guess we're assuming there's supposed to be other androids like her. But that story brings in a totally separate issue that I at least want to spend a little bit of time on. And that's Narek and his sister. Uh, the Lannister twins? Yeah. She is so not okay <laughs> in this uh, in this show. Like, why why can't she just be the bad guy? Why does she also have to, like, make me feel like she's trying to sleep with her brother? I don't know. Uh, she's not just trying. I mean, I legitimately think she wants to. I'm concerned that she already has, and she's, like, abused him, and that's why he acts the way he does, is because she's already been abusing him since they were young, you know, and he doesn't see a way out of it. Now she's also, like, his superior officer at the same time. Um, But that undertone, that connotation detracts so much from the rest of the story, because there's no way for me to see her side, to see her perspective, to to relate to her in any way, because she's not just a villain. She's also like completely creepy and sensuous and inappropriate with her brother. And that's why I made the Lannister joke, because in Game of Thrones, yeah. the Lannister thing is discussing it. It is. It serves a purpose and they explain it very well, but they also have, you know, five books and a hundred hours of television show, but it serves a purpose. And this, I don't know what the purpose is aside from just being creepy and disturbing. Right. And again, it's another example where, oh, that's what I was going to talk about. I was looking at my notes. So the Zadvaj are looking for Soji, but you have the, the, I don't know if they're twins or not, but you have the brother and the sister, Narek, and I can't remember her name. They know where Soji is. But so they're not, they must not be Zadvaj because they would just, the, the Zadvaj are trying to kill Soji. So I don't know if they're Tal Shiar or if they're another secret sect of whatever. Or maybe they're humans looking like Romulans. I don't know at this point. But I just... When you don't understand somebody's reasons for doing something, it makes it hard. Like you said, why should we care? Aside from it just being disturbing on the show. Well, I I do think there's Anvash. I think here's what happened. I think that... There were two, basically two groups and two plans. It was one was going to be we're going to go in with a force because we have a force installed here on Earth. And the other was let's try and be more methodical and secretive about it. And when the one on Earth went poorly, went poor, and they killed her rather than got information from her, they went with this other plan for Soji. Because at the end of the day, yes, they want all of these androids dead. But to Narek's point, how can we kill them all if we don't know where they are? So he's really – he makes perfect sense. I get what he's doing. I understand him and I find him interesting because he is a bad guy, at least for now. And But he has like a head on his shoulders where he's like, well, I have this mission. I have this goal. And rather than just blow it all up because I'm the bad guy, I really need to be successful here. And that's what Romulans do. I mean, man, like going all the way back forever, Romulans are not – the Leroy Jenkins of Star Trek. <laughs> no, they they are absolutely not, and I love that reference. <laughs> like, like maybe Klingons are right. The Klingons are like, let's just go blow them up. That may, like, okay, fine. But that's not who Romulans are. That's not what the Tal Shiar is. It doesn't seem to me like that's what the Zatvash would be either, because then they would have been revealed a long time ago. They are secretive 
people by nature, admittedly so. Even in the show, they're admitted that way. So why would such a important mission be to just send a covert team down to Earth and blow up a bunch of stuff? That doesn't track with me. So what Narek's plan is makes a lot of sense. And then they have this whole backdrop of the board cube behind it, and you've got Hugh and Jonathan Del Arco is doing a wonderful job. But again, like I'm not sure that it's an interesting subplot. It's just more like we need to give her development so when Picard finally gets to her, we care what happens. But somehow well, I even, was able to care about Dodge much faster. Oh, yeah. And even with the Zod Vaj, the issue that they're already starting to have is you have this ultra-secret powerful organization that can apparently do things within with just on a whim. They can infiltrate Earth. They can attack Earth. They can attack Federation citizens, and nobody seems to care. But they're also so ineffective at what they're trying to do that they're losing their threat. It's like one of the complaints people had with DS9 when the whole Klingon War started is when the Klingons boarded DS9 during the attack, they lost like every single hand-to-hand combat, which is supposed to be what they're good at. And people were like, well, that's okay, but the Klingons have always been talked about. Like they're the greatest warriors in the Alpha Quadrant, right? Beta Quadrant. And they get just stomped on by... You know, 120-pound Major Kira, who's been fighting Cardassians her whole life. I get it. And yeah, she got stabbed in the side. But it's like when the, when, the, when you, you start losing your threat, it's like the next time I see the Zadbaj on screen, I'm like, well, they're not going to win. They're going to get killed, and they're going to bite their acid tooth and die. It's because that's kind of what we're already seeing. And so that's what I, I mean. That's why I'm, I'm agreeing with you is I find Narek far more interesting than Zadbaj warriors on Earth. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I think that that's definitely a big concern. And I think that's why Narek's kind of the only interesting part of that subplot, because at least he feels intelligent. He feels thoughtful about what he's doing. And you would think that an organization like that would be that way. And the problem with sci-fi, especially futuristic sci-fi like this, is when there is a gunfight in an apartment – you would think somebody else would be aware that that happened, right? When there's an explosion on a rooftop, you you know near near Starfleet headquarters of all places, you would think that somebody would have noticed that, right? Like, yeah, a, a hundred years ago, right, in the year 1920, right, if you killed somebody and nobody physically saw it happen, you were probably going to get away with it. Because there were no cameras, there were no recording equipment, right? That wasn't a thing. But now we have security cameras everywhere. So how could there not be security cameras that, you know, that saw the roof explosion? You're telling me that they were able to get access to every single camera or that nobody heard the explosion and saw it or heard the gunfire in the apartment? Apparently they didn't, but you're right. It doesn't make sense is you can't even drive down the street and today and you know play loud music without somebody noticing it just it starts to get less and less believable the more sophisticated the technology is but then you get past that and then we're we're where we are in the story now and um i i just kind of want the mission to go and i have some concerns here because so picard's got his ship 
He's got Elnor, who is going to fight for him, and we can talk about that too. Seven shows up. Okay, great. We've got Seven. And now we have to go to Free Cloud, where we think Maddox is, but we still have to find Riker and Troy at some point. Are they on Free Cloud, or is this another detour? Well, and I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to call him Elnor. He's Elrond. He's an elf. <laughs> he's got a sword. He's got long, straight hair. He's an elf. These are Romulan warrior monks, which is apparently a thing. Uh... But yeah, Elnor, I mean, that's, I get it because, and then that's where I, so the example I made earlier when we started recording about the focus group trek is because I know there was some CBS corporate person that's like, hey, do you know what people like? They like swords and they like elves. Romulan warrior monk, which is fine. Um, we've only seen him on screen for like 10 minutes anyway, so I'm going to give the guy a chance. He looks badass though, so that's cool. But yeah, it's just, they're throwing so much crap at us. And when I say crap, I'm not talking literal crap. I mean, there's just so much stuff they're trying to do at the exact same time. Where are Roy? Roy, Holy cow. cow. Where's Troy? Where's Riker? You know, there's, they're going to Free Cloud. They're going to try to find Bruce Maddox. They got to go find Soji. They're going to fight the Zodvaj. It's like, they kind of need to start narrowing their focus. And maybe they do. But... We jump, we do this, we jump back in time, we go to Narek, we go to his sister, we go to the Admiral Commodore O. There's a lot of stuff happening right now. There is. And I think that's, it's a weird issue to have, that there's so much happening, but it also feels like no progress is being made. They, well, yeah, they're not making progress. I still don't even, they're going to Free Cloud and, okay, that's, this is the other part of my note. So remember, they're, they're talking about going to Free Cloud but they got to go through one of the sectors and the sector is having an issue with pirates and smugglers because the Rangers can't defend the frontier. Okay. What? Like, <laughs> what, what, what is going on? Like Rangers? Is this Babylon five? Well, so here's, here's how I, I took that at least. So with Starfleet kind of going inward, I'm kind of seeing Starfleet as the United States military after world war one, right? Becoming very isolationist. And that's what Starfleet has done here. And so a lot of the outlying territories that normally would have the Federation's protection, Starfleet's protection, are more left to their own devices. And so you're getting more space pirates, more of the Harry Muds, more of the Orions, things like that. And more local groups had to band together to protect territories. And those are what the Rangers are. But they've got limited resources, limited ships. And at the end of the day, they're not they're not winning this battle. They're not winning this fight. It's kind of how I took all of that. And that was fine. It was kind of a way to make more of like the Wild West out in space in a gritty way where Picard couldn't just fly around wherever he wanted. Right. Well, and I think that's where your discussion on modern TV makes sense. Well, a lot more sense is it's simply because we've never had something like that in Star Trek. Yeah, we've had the Orions and Harry Mudd, but... We haven't had, like, Wild West sector issues, but that's where, and you and I talked about this a few weeks ago, with the Romulans needing help to evacuate. So the Romulan Star Empire, by its very definition, is an empire. They got supposedly thousands of ships, but and they knew the supernova was happening, but they still needed Starfleet, which was fine. But again, it's just like, then we get to this plot where... I'll be honest, like, I've watched the four episodes a couple of times each, 
I'm still just having difficulty following what the hell's happening on the board cube, and some of your comments with Narek actually have helped me a lot. But otherwise, they're going to go to Free Cloud and find Bruce Maddox, and I guess we're going to see Bruce Maddox in a couple episodes. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they get detoured again. Well, so you touched on a few different things. So let's let's talk for a minute about the supernova. So. There's a lot of confusion about this because we haven't really been given the detail required to know for sure. But, you know, they're, yes, they are an empire. Um, They, you know, Romulus and Remus and a bunch of other systems and planets and things of that nature. What I understand is that when their star went supernova, it destroyed multiple sectors of space, multiple star systems multiple groups of planets and civilized worlds and they had to evacuate from there the problem is that the romulans can't evacuate to other people's space and the romulans are so focused on their military forces that they don't have just civilian craft that can hold 30 40 50,000 people and so starfleet offered to help take people out of these danger areas and move them to new locations. The problem is we don't really know on a map anywhere the sheer effect of this explosion, right? How much space was destroyed by the supernova? And was it all completely destroyed? Is it a radiation problem, right? Like, okay, your planet wasn't disrupted like physically, but now it's got radiation from the supernova, so you can't live there anymore. Right. It's kind of how I took that to be because a supernova can be an incredibly destructive, you know, insanely immense thing, something that's fairly hard for us to really comprehend the size of. So that's kind of fine, because if you go back to the Klingons, you go back to, you know, the undiscovered country, the destruction of one one thing, Praxis, was going to put the Klingon Empire on the verge of collapse because that's where their dilithium came from. So and you- I'm okay with the explosion aspect because you're right, Praxis exploded and apparently it hit the Excelsior, you know, sectors away, right? Yeah, yeah. So the ex- the explosion itself was I'm fine with. It's just this is something you and I've been talking about is all these issues with Star Trek in the modern modern Trek and canon at some point some senior official whether it's CBS with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes, or wherever, needs to make a decision and tell their underlings... You guys need to sort this canon out and come to an agreement on what the hell the Star Trek universe is. And just tell everybody. Like, The Witcher, when people started complaining about timelines, they put out like a digital map. And they're like, alright, this is where everything is, this is what's going on. It's like, CBS needs to do that. They need somebody to make a command decision and go, this is what's important and this is what's not. Well, and, and until that happens, we're going to have questions. So they have to an extent. Not everything, of course, has been answered. You know, there there was the release of the new Star Trek encyclopedias by the Akutas uh, a few years ago. 
that is incredibly powerful. I would highly recommend looking into that. It even confirms the Prime and Kelvin timelines as separate entities that exist together. Um, and it, it's a straight it's straight up known that if it's an episode of television and if it's a movie, it's canon. Anything else, any comic books, video games, novels, none of that is officially canon. And the understanding is that, well, as long as it's not contradicted by canon, then you can assume that it happened. And some of that works better than others. In the novel verse right now, there's a great group of authors who have kicked off a, a connected Star Trek universe together. They're working together to not contradict each other, and it's really wonderful. Um, but it's still not actual canon. It's, it's beta canon. The problem now is this stuff is all new. The destruction of Romulus was only referred to in Star Trek 2009 before now. So we don't know the extent of the damage. The 2399 timeline hasn't fleshed out those details yet. And that's what we need answers to. We need to know, okay, this is what the map was. We, we kind of know that prior to – like when Nemesis happened, we know what the map was canon-wise. We don't know anymore because we don't know how much of the Romulan Empire was destroyed and is uninhabitable. And we don't know what the Klingons have done with that power vacuum. So we need that. We need somebody to do that today. And hopefully we get that. Maybe that's something that they're waiting for the season to be over to avoid some spoiler or something like that. I don't know. Well, and I think some of these story issues we're having, and again, I'm obviously not in the industry, but so Picard has basically four creators. It's got nine executive producers and five production companies involved. That is a hell of a lot of logistics when it comes to people involved in the production of something. And, you know, we, you and I have joked about this, and you guys have even joked about it on, on screen heroes, when, when sometimes you're sitting in a movie and it's got, like, three directors and five production companies, you're like, oh, God. And you're like, okay. So start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, right? Even what's going on with, you know, Birds of Prey right now, changing the title and trying to adjust. When you get that much leadership involvement, even in, hell, that's why I always joke when people laugh, oh, the U.S. government has conspiracies. I'm like, look, if you've ever been a project manager and you try to get 10 people to do the same thing, it doesn't work. And I th I see some of the challenges in Picard right now, and it's what you hit on earlier is they've got multiple stories happening and difficulty engaging people with some of the stories, which is kind of a weakness some of the other Trek series haven't had. They've had bad stories, but we've always been kind of engaged and this is the first time where, like you said, about the, the issue on the board cube, it's not, it's not grabbing me, which is very, very unusual for Star Trek. Even if, you know, parts of Discovery I didn't like, but it still grabbed my attention. I'm having difficulty right now with Picard. I think that's fair. And, you know, like we've been talking for almost an hour here. We've we've had a lot of, of criticism. We've, we've talked quite a bit. We've hashed it up. I do kind of want to see... What are some things that you really like about the show? No matter how detailed it might be, what's something or a few somethings that you've enjoyed that you think are cool additions to Star Trek? I do love that the cast and crew feel real. And for those of you that have listened to us for a couple years now, I've always been a big fan of cast and crew that feel like real human beings would act. It's like... I don't entirely understand why Raffi is upset with Picard. 
But I understand that she might be upset with Picard about something, and I just wish they would show us what the hell happened. And that makes sense. I get Picard leaving Starfleet and going back to his chateau. That is a very human thing to do. He goes back to somewhere he feels safe and feels home, and it's where his family was from. But he also keeps saying, I kind of feel alone when I'm at the chateau because I want to be out in space. I love stuff like that because that is a human instinct where we go back to what we think is safe and normal. And then sometimes we feel defeated. And I get that. That is, these are some of the most human characters we've had in Star Trek in a while where my complaint about Discovery was, you know, everybody feels like they're perfect at everything and they're trying too hard. In this show, they're trying to be legitimate people. And that's the part where I really, really like it. I like that they're not on a Starfleet ship. Well, maybe it's it's not a Starfleet. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I like that they're not on a battleship or a dreadnought or a cruiser or something like that. I like that. They could have... It would have been... Do you know how easy... And you know that there was some producer somewhere that they're going, oh, we're going to put them on the... Uh, the USS, you know, Ryushu or something. And it's going to be an experimental ship. You know somebody was saying that, right? Somebody had to have been. Yeah. And so I like that they didn't do that. Because we always have starships. And they're cool. But like you said, 15, 20 minutes ago, they don't need to be on the Enterprise. They don't need to be on the Defiant. They don't need to be on the Voyager. Let them rough it up. I think that's cool. That's something we have not seen in Star Trek yet. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I like that as well. I like the idea that it's more of a ragtag team. Um, I I like some of the new technological changes, for example. Um, so on the the new ship, which is the La Serena, La Serena, excuse me, um, they have a lot of hologram crew members, and it's not just an EMH. There's the engineering hologram, and there's the hospitality hologram, and you know. Um, I like all of those. I like the idea that they took what happened on Voyager with the Doctor and the their implementation of the emergency command hologram and took that farther, took it a step farther. And in the Voyager relaunch novels that Kirsten Beyer writes, and she is one of the creators of this show, and she's really good, so you should read those books, um, there's an entire ship that is run 100% by holograms and they all have these different roles and the fact that picard used that which very well may have been Byer's suggestion since she created the idea in the novel um it's a really cool idea because why not why would you limit it to just a doctor right why not have an engineer why not have all of these other roles of crew members that could help in an emergency or in this case where you just don't have a crew um, it gives Santiago Cabrera an opportunity to act all these different personalities, which has been really fun to see because they're all based off of his likeness, the the, the holograms. Um, so his, you know, Captain Rios, um, I, I've enjoyed for the most part. Um, you know, the ship is fine. The design of it is fine. The interior is a little lacking. It's more of just like a rectangle, you know, inside. There's not a whole lot to it, which is fine. Uh, it does feel like maybe that's where they were cutting some budget stuff is just having a simple interior. Um, but I love these characters. I really do. I think the actors are doing a very good job and I want to see more, right? I, I think maybe the, the biggest 
the biggest thing that comes out of these first four episodes is I want to see Picard and Rafi together on a ship as Starfleet officers 14 years ago. I want to see what that was like in live action. You know, they we see a brief bit of it with them in those uniforms on the day that he resigns. Um, and I want to see more of that. I think is part of the the trick, and maybe this show, if it's if it's really successful, will spur new stories during this time period, and we'll get you know a new Star Trek show on a ship that takes place around now, and that would be really exciting. I'd really like to see that. Um, well, and that and you're right because that's where my complaint was on we're being told stuff, not shown stuff. Is show that relationship between Raffi and Picard. Because let's be, let's be real, on the Next Generation crew, they went through some shit together, and it wasn't always good. But they're all still pretty close and friendly 30 years later, right? Yeah. So what happened to the point where Raffi sees Picard and literally pulls an assault rifle on him? This isn't like a get-off-my-lawn and she throws a rock at him. She pulls a damn gun on him. That's not just hostility. That's literally... I'm pointing a gun at Admiral Picard, and leave or i might kill you oh i've got wine oh okay well, why didn't you say so it's like show what happened something else happened aside from him resigning it's almost a shame because her personality makes me feel like she would have been a damn cool officer to watch you know and it's a shame we won't really get to see that to any significant extent at least from the direction they seem to be going with that um you know, because I mean, come on. There's, there's no way this story ends with anybody being reinstated into Starfleet, right? Um, that's, that's a concern that I have. Like, so you, get, you look back at Star Trek Four, right? The voyage home, and at the end of it, everyone's cheering because Kirk gets demoted to captain, which is what he always wanted. You know, um, my worry here is that like this is going to unravel this Romulan plot installed in Starfleet, and Picard and Rafi are going to be these huge heroes. And she's going to end up back an officer again. And it would be nice to see her character get redemption, but that's also – that can come off a little silly in today's kind of storytelling. Well, and that's where, again, I've already said it multiple times and everybody's probably booing me. But the focus group, the corporate track, and you know that's what I mean. There's somebody there saying that that should happen, and I agree with you so much. Do not put them back in Starfleet. Let them do their own thing. Let them do their own – little exploration personal ship i don't not like mercenaries or something but maybe because starfleet is turning so inward maybe this little crew helps form helps rebuild the rangers or something and now i'm a babylon 5 fan so when i hear the word ranger i literally think of a group of independent warriors that are defending the frontier and then when i say defending of the frontier i think of last starfighter so i apologize but <laughs> which would be phenomenal if somehow they combine the last starfighter universe with star trek don't tease but, me. <laughs> season two is, you know, the invasion of Zor and the Kodan. I'm like, yes, this is great. But let them stay independent. Let them do, because we've never truly had that in Star Trek. Yes, you had Voyager exploring the Delta Quadrant. And arguably you had Cisco that was maybe the most willing to just break every possible rule and stay in Starfleet because he had to. I mean, he destroyed a planet, for God's sake, when he poisoned one of the... Uh, Oh my god. I can't even think of it. It's the all... Renegade Starfleet officers. The Maquis? The Maquis. Oh my god. Oh, okay. He destroyed a Maquis planet by poisoning the atmosphere. Yeah, that so was So this intense. dude was willing to break every rule. But 
we've never had an independent crew on Star Trek. That would be pretty cool if they let them do that. Now, okay, so before we wrap up, I do have one more thing I want to talk about, and that's Seven of Nine. So we get her very, very briefly in this episode. So that's why this is more speculation. So what do you think she's been up to the last 20 years since it appears that she's not in Starfleet at the moment? Does that surprise you? And what do you think she's been up to? Okay, so this is my wish versus what I think actually happened. And you're going to laugh at this. Maybe you maybe you might agree with me. I don't know. So <laughs> season six and seven of Voyager, they started really building up her humanity. And she started exploring more of, you know, things like diet and relationships and entertainment and joy. I am so hoping that what they do with her is that she actually has a family. Is that she went back to Earth... She got married and actually had kids. I know it's not going to happen, but I think that would be so amazing for them to do to a character that 15 years ago was figuring out her humanity, went home to Earth, and the impact that Janeway had on her was like, you know what? Something Janeway talked about was wanting a family and never being able to have one, that that stuck with her and she got married and had kids. I would love that. It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, Maybe. But I think that'd be great. And maybe something she realizes what the hell's going on in the galaxy, but, and she's trying to get involved, but I, that would be a lot of fun to me. It's a cute idea to, to be sure. I think it wouldn't really explain why she'd be doing this renegade stuff right now, right? Risking her life to, to help Picard for some reason or something like that. Um, I'm really just the most surprised that she's not like, working at the Daystrom Institute or, you know, running some part of Starfleet intelligence or does ship design or something, right? Like, you know, maybe she's would be working with Jordy at Utopia Planitia, which I'm assuming by now has been rebuilt. Um, you know, something like that, because she's so highly intelligent and her knowledge of the Borg and their technologies and the technologies of those who have been assimilated, you would think would be invaluable to Starfleet. So is this where we can continue advocating for uh, the Jordy LaForge show where he's captain of the USS Challenger and Seven of Nine is his first officer? So, I mean... It won't happen, but... It would be incredible if that was a thing. But here's where the canon conversation gets complicated. In the Star Trek Picard Countdown comic book, which there are three issues, they explain that Jordy is a commander at Utopia Planitia. And is basically responsible for designing and developing this rescue fleet of ships. Now, we know he's still alive and was not killed in the attack because he is referenced early on in Picard when, um, uh, you know, Picard's trying to think like who he can ask for help, right? And that kind of thing. Um, we know that, that Jordy is still alive because he's on that list of people. So the question is just, you know, what is he doing now? And I think, you know, maybe there's an argument to be made that Seven and was in Starfleet until that attack happened. And maybe she resigned for the same reasons Picard did, because she has a, a personal connection to artificial intelligence and artificial life, because she is essentially a cyborg. And the whole family aspect, maybe you just kind of gave me an idea. Maybe as horrible as it is, maybe her family was lost during the attack. And that's why yeah. she's willing to come back and help again. I and the, Okay, so the main reason I want them to have give her a family of some kind is 
we don't see that a lot in Star Trek, where people talk about their families or their relationships. Yeah, people, you know, they obviously get together, but we don't see, outside of Naomi Wildman, we don't get a lot of family interaction, which to me is where I, that's not reality. The reality is you and Ray talking about having a family, you know, me having a family. That's, those are humans. That's what humans do. We, we procreate and have families. I don't, I would like that. We don't, we don't see that a lot in Star Trek and it'd be cool to do it with Jerry Ryan, but well, it probably won't happen. I know that Riker and Troy have kids, right? We're going to see that to an extent. Um, the Geordi from all good things ended up with a family and children. So we know it's a thing that happens, but we just don't really know where anybody else has landed in this new future. So far, Riker and Troy are the only ones. We have no idea what, what Crusher is up to or Worf is up to. We, we know Geordi's alive and was running Utopia Planitia. And now we know where seven is, but the background is still missing. And, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for Short Treks. You know, um, Short Treks has done some really cool stuff showing us pieces of Pike, number one, and Spock in their early days, which I think has been super cool. And I'd like maybe to see some of that. Maybe we can see a Short Trek with with Dr. Crusher, with Jordy, and see what they're up to. Um, you know, maybe they are still in Starfleet. Maybe she's working at Starfleet Medical and running the, the damn thing. I don't know. Um, but that would be an opportunity to show us. Give us 10 minutes. Here's what this person's been up to. And your comment on Jordy running, you know, Utopia Planitia, you know what else did? Was Benjamin Sisko. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's some cool stuff that they could explore that way. And the de-aging that they did on Picard for the 14 years ago, I thought was really pretty damn good. Um, and they have an opportunity to do some of these unique stories with other cast members. If they wanted to do short treks and show Jordy helping develop these ships, I mean, first off, LeVar Burton has aged very well anyway the last 20 years. But you could de-age him a little bit if you want to, uh, you know, and show him from 15 years ago and show what's been going on. And we can see the development process, what it took to undergo the design of these ships and that, that type of thing. Short Treks is a cool opportunity for that. So I'd like to see see some of that in season three of Short Treks. Hell, I would argue that LeVar Burton looks better now than he did when he was on Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> he's in phenomenal shape. He looks great. He looks, I'm like, what is, is he like, he's just not aging at all. I mean, he's a, a vampire. He's so yeah, vampire. I mean, like, <laughs> take advantage, do some, use, tech, use modern technology, release five minutes Short Treks online only and... Yeah, do a little or do little dossier episodes on the history of Riker, the history of this, the history of that. That'd be a lot of fun. Or even like what you and I were talking about. We need some, we would like some details on what's going on with the Klingons, the Cardassians, the Bajorans. Use some short treks to talk about, you know, uh, what's a like I'm trying to think. I know we're running long, but something almost along the lines of using like a Federation historian that does a short trek and it's you he or she's talking to a group of students and uh, the index at the academy. You could totally yeah. use the index hologram from earlier yeah. in and, Picard. And they're talking to like, uh, you know, class one on a, at the academy. It's like, hey, by the way, you know, this is the history of blah 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 in the past twenty years. That'd be cool. No, I, I actually thought the index was super interesting. I think you could, they could absolutely do that, and. You could have it be animated if you don't want to worry about building these sets or whatever. Um, there's a lot of different things that you could do, but I think you're right. I think have it be more of a history lesson, I think would be a really cool way to do this and a way to bring in characters who 
maybe the actors aren't available or they're not interested anymore or um you know maybe they are and you, you bring them in and she's just doing some narration to to frame it i think that's a great idea and i think the index is the perfect kind of vessel for that well and, and as we get ready to wrap up the one thing i want to comment on that is i agree with you and i hope cbs starts understanding that whether they like it or not when people are fans of something, whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars or Game of Thrones or the CW series or Marvel, universally what every fan loves is to not only know what happens with their favorite characters, but by nature, as humans, we like to know the background and the lore of stuff. It's why Lord of the Rings was three books, but Tolkien ended up writing a bunch more books on the background of the elves and stories of the dwarves and the humans and Sauron it's why Game of Thrones is so popular and everybody's like, well, we want to know more about the Targaryens. We want to know about the original war for the dawn. That's what human, that's what people like creative minds want to know background. And Star Trek's got so much lore and history to it that they could, they could do five minute episodes on probably 10,000 different topics and never run out of ideas. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and remember watching discovery season two and you and I were like, wouldn't that be cool if these were the Iconians? And (laughs) we knew it was kind of bizarre, but it was like, that would have been neat. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, all right. So I think this is probably a good place to stop. So today we covered three episodes, um, maps and legends. The end is the beginning and absolute candor. And we're going to be back. Hopefully we're, I think the goal is to be back next week to discuss stardust city rag which is episode five um i was actually just peeking at imdb and it's saying that there's 11 episodes of the season i don't know if that's accurate or not i had only read that there were 10 so i guess we'll have to wait and see what happens there um yeah i thought there was 10 also so yeah i I guess we'll see but greg any final thoughts before we depart today no it's just that i hope that our listeners understand that when we're critical of something, we're critical of something because we love it. And we also recognize that they have opportunities to do improvement. Like Derek and I have been saying, the first season and a half of Next Generation was pretty damn rough. So let's see what they do. Let's give Picard a chance. The cast and crew are phenomenal. And if they just give them the great, the good story, I think that they can carry the weight. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I really, I mean, I'm excited to see more. I want to see more. I'm just hoping that they pick up the pace a little bit. And, you know, things start to kind of come together a little bit more. At the end of the day, we do. We love this. And I think it's okay to be critical of things that we love uh, because we feel very strong about them. But I also think that when you do that, you have to do it in a respectful way where you're not just screaming into a void. You're not just cursing and insulting and hating on something because there are a lot of people who work on this. There are a lot of people who spend their lives building these shows and these characters and writing these stories and put every ounce of effort that they have into them. And just because it may not be perfect or exactly what we want, it doesn't mean that these people aren't truly putting in the effort. And I, I do appreciate that we have the show to begin with. Well, and let's be real. There's some fans on of every genre that doesn't matter what you do, they still won't be happy. So fair enough. All right. Well, then I guess that's going to be it for us. We will be back next week with uh, Stardust City Rag from Star Trek Picard. Uh, Greg, if people want to talk to you about Star Trek, where can they find you? 
Well, you can find us on uh, Facebook at the Red Shirts and Runabouts forum, that forum, the fan page that we've been using. We get a lot of discussion on there. It's a great environment. I definitely recommend that. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can contact me on Twitter at the V underscore Bittersteel. It's a little Game of Thrones reference. Uh, Mr. Derek, how about you, buddy? So I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter mainly. I'm also on Facebook. And yeah, the Red Shirts and Runabouts group on Facebook is it's growing slowly. So please come talk Trek with us. We would really appreciate that. You can um, also, if you, if you like the show, if you want to support us in any way, there's there's three big ways to do that. The first is to just follow our accounts and share our stuff, right? F- help other people find our shows. And that's for Red Shirts and Runabouts, and that's for the whole Heroes Podcast Network, uh, heroespodcast.com for the rest of our shows. If you'd like to help in a financial way, there are two ways to do that. You can get uh, go to uh, our coffee, so that's ko-fi.com slash heroes podcasts and you can buy individual quote coffees is what they call them and it helps us earn money to buy equipment and support the website and all of our domains and different things like that um, which would be super helpful and if you want to do it more long term you can join our patreon patreon.com slash heroes podcasts we have two tiers one's a buck one's five bucks Um, the $5 tier actually gets you access to ad free versions of all of our episodes, um, point forward when we, when we launch that tier for the whole network and, uh, you actually get them early. Most of the time they, they actually launch their early uh, ahead of the normal release. So you can check that stuff out. Um, if you'd like to support the show in any way, uh, of course we're at red shirts pod on Twitter. Please come out and talk to us out there at heroes podcasts on Facebook you can subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. And I guess we'll catch you next week. Right, Greg? I'm looking forward to it. All right. We'll see you next time. <laughs>